Hi, I'm Leslie Vreinhook, and this is Suasion, Part 2. A few weeks ago, I had a long visit uh, with an old friend, and the talk turned, as it always does, to current affairs and then, of course, to the U.S. presidential election. Like most everyone I know in Canada, this friend is completely bewildered by the Trump phenomenon and the whole state of American politics, and also completely obsessed with it, following the daily drama like we used to follow soap operas. And yet I can't help feel that they all are missing a crucial part of the narrative, like they missed the train go off the tracks, and now they can't wrap their heads around the flaming wreckage. Nothing, absolutely nothing, about what's happening now surprises me because I watched the whole thing from a front row seat in my parents' kitchen. So in the course of that conversation with this friend, she asked me how I could have maintained any relationship at all with my mother, how I could even have talked to my Republican-supporting, Trump-tolerating, now-dead mother. It's not the first time or the fifth time or the fifteenth time I've been asked that. But this was an old friend. This was someone who knew me, and who'd met my mother on many occasions. And the question always takes me by surprise, no matter who asks it. I know it shouldn't, but I'm never sure if I'm expected to apologize or to denounce my parents as idiots or monsters or both. But I don't, because they weren't. In this huge political divide that feels so dangerous right now, I feel so lucky to have had those Republican parents and to have had that ongoing dialogue with people I loved and respected. So what I didn't tell my friend is that I'm still talking to my mother. I'm still having that conversation, those debates. I'm still sharpening my points and gathering my facts and anticipating mom's argument, how she'd see it, what facts she'd have that are completely different from my understanding. I guess I don't want to lose that live feed, though I know it's waning. Still, I couldn't stop thinking about that question, and then about how different my answer would have been 20-odd years ago, when things were so caustic and mean in my family. How there's this dark period called the 1990s, when we almost completely divorced each other. So I went looking for it. I went looking for some reminder of exactly what had caused the rancor between my parents and me in the 90s. In 1992... Rush Limbaugh published a book called The Way Things Ought to Be to supplement, I guess, his meteoric rise to radio broadcast fame. My mother had a copy of it on her bookshelf, displayed almost as prominently as books written by, well, I don't know, her daughter, me, and those written by my husband, the left-leaning journalist son-in-law that mom came to adore, even though the first thing she said when I told her I was dating him in a voice like she suspected I was dating a mass murderer, was, oh my God, is he one of those liberal media types? So I snagged Limbaugh's book off her shelf, and I dumped it in my suitcase after she died last year. Grief is a, a weird thing. I wanted to hold on to everything, every worn sock and tattered dishcloth that had touched her skin. Last week I pulled that book out, and I read it over several days. It was not enjoyable, although it had its moments, but it was enlightening. 
I could see what had worked so effectively to make my parents such devotees of a stranger that they turned on me. In the early 1990s, to be fair, my life was a bit of a mess, so I did think it was my fault, their sudden distrust in me, the way they just assumed the worst of me. It wasn't like that before. I'd always been more liberal, and they'd always been fiscal conservatives, traditionalists in some ways, but more or less progressive. You know, we recycled when it was cutting edge to do so. They donated to good causes. They supported charities. They took liberal arts courses, for God's sake, at community college, both of them just out of general interest. Once, when we were teenagers, my brother and I were sitting with my mother watching Phil Donahue. Mom loved Phil long before she loved Rush, and she said, You know, I really like my kids. Be horrible not to like your children. By 1994, I guess she knew how horrible that could be, because it seemed neither she nor my dad liked me anymore. Oh, don't get me wrong, they still loved me. But now they were making all kinds of assumptions about my character. If I thought this, then I must also be that. Reading this book, I understood why. The book wasn't the thing, of course. It wasn't Rush Limbaugh's book that made him a household name, nor his four-year foray into television. Radio was Limbaugh's calling. He launched his national radio show in 1988, and by 1992, 11 million people had tuned in and turned on to it, including my parents. It wasn't really a leap for them. They were already conservatives, living a pretty traditional life, they had great faith in market forces. They had great suspicion about politicians and a pretty healthy skepticism always about the news media, although they consumed a lot of it. And nothing, nothing in their experience had shown them it wasn't so easy for everyone who was making an effort. Rush Limbaugh was preaching a cut-the-crap, pro-small-government economic theory that people like them subscribed to. And he was congratulating smart, decent, hard-working, high-earning people for being smart, decent, hard-working people. Everybody wants to feel good about themselves. That's not rocket science. And he was saying everyone, everyone who works hard should be able to get ahead. And they would be able to get ahead if we could just get rid of those corrupt politicians and also those supposed do-gooders who really hinder more than they help anyone. I think if his message had just been that, if it had just been that simple, he'd probably have had a moderately successful radio show and then vanished into the ether. But he tapped into something else. He tapped into that inner four-year-old in all of us that doesn't want to share the crayons, and that's always looking for what isn't fair. And, you know, he really, really is a master at delivering just the right amount of half the facts to achieve maximum outrage. And outrage must really kick dopamine because we all crave it now. So his whole book rotates between this kind of I'm always right and you're a good person and here's an example of something so outrageously unbelievable that it will fire you up and all shucks, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but geez, these are bad people. And they are trying to destroy everything good in America. 
Limbaugh has always claimed he's an entertainer, not a journalist. And he can be entertaining. What's interesting to me is that he adamantly denies, in the book and on his show, adamantly denies that he's a propagandist, that his intention was ever to tell anybody what to think, which is an interesting argument for someone who wrote in the front pages of their book, under the title Advisory, a warning to the liberal elite. And by the way, he doesn't actually define who the liberal elite are, so I can't help you there. But here's his warning. Everything in this book is right, and you must be prepared to confront that reality. Is right. Don't even bother to disagree. You are two pages too late for that. Right off the bat, he neutralizes critics of the book by telling his readers, most of the reviews were written before the book was even published. Well, yeah, that is actually how publishing works. Advanced copies go out to reviewers before the book is published. But if you don't know that, it's a very effective way of shutting it down. He goes on to tell readers that they'll be persuaded to the conservative point of view. And then he spends a great many pages saying he isn't trying to persuade anyone that he's using psychology to get people to think for themselves. He's using psychology, all right, but it's not in service to critical thinking. And it's not even really that he was telling people what to think. It's that he was telling them what other people thought, what liberals thought. He was telling my parents what I thought. He was telling them that everyone of my ilk was out to destroy them and everything they believed in. And if that sounds familiar, it's what's happening now on both sides of the political divide and both sides of the media divide. It's why people are asking me how I could ever have continued to have a relationship with my mother. Right from the start, Limbaugh insisted that you either agreed with him or you were part of the crooked, hedonist, militant, or at best deluded and misinformed liberal elite. And what's astounding is that he used grade six bullying tactics and name-calling to make his point. And if you didn't laugh, if you don't think it's funny, well, you just have no sense of humor. You know who has no sense of humor? Liberals, that's who. Here's what he has to say about wacko environmentalists in the book. Bunch of maggot-infested, misanthrope wackos who hate prosperity and really, secretly, don't like nature. Because if they did, they'd trust it to heal itself. Limbaugh loves to cite takedown conversations he's had with some unnamed, dim-witted do-gooders. And they say the stupidest things, and their arguments just crumble when they're met with that brilliant Limbaugh logic. It's pretty obvious that these conversations happened inside his head. It's obvious to me anyway, because I know a lot of lefty do-gooders, and they're, they're smart people, and their brains are full of compelling facts. Too bad Rush never met any of them. Every argument, topic after topic, is like this. And when he's excoriated everyone thoroughly, he softens. Does that, hey, I'm a decent guy thing? He's talking then to the members of his audience who might be leaning away from his nasty all-or-nothing rhetoric. He's pulling them close. 
close enough to whisper in their ears about what's really going on here. The environmentalists, you see, aren't trying to save the planet. They're trying to outlaw private property, to take away what's yours. If there's a big rainstorm and your yard has too much standing water, they're going to deem it a wetland, and then they'll have control over it. Now you see, don't you? Cue the inner four-year-old. And then, while you're still reeling from outrage about losing your own damn backyard to government regulations, Rush swings around and reiterates all his arguments for deregulation, for fewer impediments to progress, because, damn it, that's how we really protect nature. And then, like always, he loops back to the good, decent people who might wrong-headedly consider themselves environmentalists. He targets their resistance and he squashes it. Of course you want clean water and clean air, so of course it's understandable that you'd be misled by scientists and the media they have in their back pockets. But here's the truth, folks. There are more trees in the United States in 1992 than there were in 1776. Let that sink in for a minute. What he doesn't say, of course, is that in 1776, the United States was comprised of just those 13 states. So yeah, it's probably technically true. Also grossly misleading. But here's the difference between books and broadcast. When I read that about the trees, I put the book down, and then I thought about it for a minute, and then I got it. But Limbaugh didn't gain his following as an author. Hell, he didn't even write this book, as he explains in the acknowledgments. Radio. Hours a day, that voice coming at you. Day after day, in the intimate setting of your home, while you're feeding the dog and buttering the toast. Reminding you to be vigilant against environmentalists, against the dangerous feminazis, against the ever-present threat of fascism on the left, against your own children. If I hadn't almost died, my mother and I might never have become friends again. More about that next time. <laughs> 